Hello everyone and welcome back to the Seen and Not Heard podcast. As always, I am Mel Rose and today I have something really special in store for you. In the last episode, you got an alternative view on the webcam world from another cam girl and she was telling bits and pieces of her own story. And on this episode, I want to elaborate a little bit by sitting down with a licensed counselor and psychotherapist. He didn't want to go on record with his real legal name for obvious reasons. So throughout this podcast, I will be referring to him as Swooby. And I know a lot of you are wondering why I chose that name. I actually didn't. Swooby is the name that I came to know him as originally, as a member of my chat room on Cam. However, for transparency, I did look at his LLPC license, so I can vouch for all of his experience and scholastic achievements. Swooby has a bachelor's degree in sociology and a master's in psychology. He has worked the last 17 years in consulting firms in the areas of psychology, mental health, forensic psychology, and industrial psychology. In addition to that, in the past five years, he's worked in private practice with individuals, families, and couples for counseling. I was extremely eager to get into chat with him on a lot of different topics, so I'm just gonna jump right in. I hope you guys don't mind. So everyone, meet Swooby. The reason I wanted to do this is just because I kind of wanted someone with a clear perspective, like an unbiased third party perspective on yeah. what we're doing in the industry, and especially someone with a professional outlook on it who, you know, has studied psychology and knows why, why we operate the way we do. So I just thought uh-huh. it'd be interesting to kind of get someone with that expertise in the mix on the podcast. Sure. Um, so because I don't personally know, what um, is the difference between a psychologist and a counselor or a psychotherapist? Because I have no idea. Okay. Okay. The In psychotherapy and counseling and all that stuff, it, there's basically two levels. There's master degree counselors, therapists, and there's PhD doctoral level. Okay. And then a doctoral level, you know, they do um, and just different levels of licensing, but they'll have a doctoral degree. Um, most that do prescribe medications, they, you know, they have an MD or they have specialized training in, in, in psychopharmacology and stuff like that. So that's a lot of them, psychiatrists mostly do like medications and so forth. And that's it. That's your case management. Most therapy, because most people in, 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 uh, in psychology are master's degree and licensed. So they call themselves psychotherapist. They could be a licensed counselor. They could be, and that could be a licensed professional counselor, LPC. That's the most common thing that you see. They may be a licensed psychologist. They may be a marriage and family therapist. Uh, they can be a licensed social worker. Uh, those are three big categories that you see out there. In each state, each of those are regulated by the states. Okay. And so each state may, may call them something different. So that's how it works out that way. Okay. And so I'm assuming then when people go in to have like couples counseling or even individual therapy, they're more often than not talking to a counselor or psychotherapist. Odds are they're talking to, to, to a, ther- uh, yeah, a master degree a therapist. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Just because there's Counseling. more of them, I'm assuming. Okay. Yep. Um, so one of the big questions I had, um, because I just did another podcast with a fellow cam girl, and I had run a poll on Twitter asking if people thought webcam was the same as porn. And I was surprised by the answers, I guess, because I was in denial. Um, and she was actually, too, because we discussed it, and we had thought and considered ourselves not in that industry. But when she looked into it, she kind of has changed her view on it, and I think so have I. But I wanted to see what you thought with your like professional 
expertise if you would consider them all in the same category? It, it well, <laughs> it, it, when you think about psych, psychotherapy and counseling and psychology as a whole, when you look at that type of stuff, you look at you know erotica as a whole mm-hmm. and what that does to the individual. Porn is just one variation of that. And okay. so it's a, it's a very broad category that people kind of find that that's kind of put into. Uh, when I, you know, for example, when I, how I kind of get into it is if I have a client, they're saying, and most clients don't come with me issues of porn or issues they have issues, may have sex addiction or problems with relationships. Mm-hmm. And that is an issue that comes up. And then I have to delve into what it is, how it relates, how it's affecting them and all that fun stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's more of erotica and then how people classify it really depends on the individual, their culture, their background. Gotcha. Um, you know, some people don't, you know, some people do like soft porn, like, you know, Playboy, you know, going back 50 years ago was scandalous, but this very kind of staple. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, there's, that's, but, and with the internet, it's really become more common. So we kind of call soft porn, you know, the pictures and stuff like that in videos, but not hardcore sex type of things. That's, those are two different type of things, you know, and that we kind of see that. But, you know, even in the psychology world, when they classify that stuff, they don't, they leave it kind of broad. Gotcha. So. Okay. And so I, I was just curious on, on this point specifically because I I see both sides to it. Like I've had people either not knowing I was in the business or just talking conversationally that, you know, really have a derogatory opinion of porn and speak badly about it. And they claim it has all these impacts on society and it's, you know, very detrimental to the psychology of how we look at sex and how we, you know, pursue sex or how people fantasize in in their sexual relationships do you feel like as a professional you've seen that impact from porn on your patients i would say uh, i think i i I can't remember when i when i I talk about this kind of like the bell curve idea bell curve is like we use in psychology and sciences that when you take a a survey of people you'll have this a group of people the majority of people kind of be in the middle and that's where the, the top of the bell curve is at and on the end you have you know, kind of goes up and down. You have two two extremes, mm-hmm. and so with a lot of things, people can deal with pornography. It's no big deal; it has no effect. It's just a thing that they do. Uh, it's not all bad. It's not all evil. The mm-hmm. problem with, with it is that people kind of put it in this broad category that it's all evil and that's it, and that's and you cut off. And some people, because of their of them, they can't. It's a, they need to stay away from it. Like there's some people that can drink uh, alcohol and have no problem. Some people can't. Yeah. Um. And so you can't throw the baby at the bathwater out. So. Mm-hmm. Um, where like I said, majority of the people that I deal with, and I've dealt with, mm-hmm. I, I can't tell you how many, um, you know, hundreds of thousands of people over the years, a small percentage of it, an issue of pornography, and pornography is not the issue, it's a sex addiction, sex addiction is not the issue, it's more depression, anxiety, personality disorders, that's where things is the hard issue that you got to really work at. So yeah. for someone that deals with certain issues, yes, it can be a problem, um, but majority of people know. And so, and there's, there's some porn there's some sex industry things that are that are very harmful that you know that are that are not healthy that are not you know and even the DSM I mentioned you before in the DSM which is the book that that is the standard that we draw from for psychology the classification of of uh, disorders um, that is the you know the, the rule book for it all they classify some things that are part of porn that are be considered treat that we'd have to treat and, and address so can you that so there's those extremes and those so in that area could you elaborate on what kind of things that you would treat that you're referring to uh most of those things such as abusive type of stuff such uh-huh. as uh, uh you know the um you know bs bsdm type of things 
when you switch, when you have someone that's a really highly dominant, you know, abusive type personality or wanting to be abused type of thing, that would be something that would ring bells off. And we'd have to look at. And uh, and I, I've had clients that you know come in, and that's and it's it's an issue usually usually for the individual. It's a that's they have no problem with it. That's what they get it they get enjoyment out of but mm-hmm. then the, the partner doesn't like it or yeah. when the partner does like it it becomes a problem so that i have to deal with now there may be and there's not been great studies on all, on all this I, you know going back to kinsey institute that they did back in the 60s 70s and 40s all the way back to the 40s actually um we don't know how many are out there but as some when people come in with problems that comes up i've had probably three or four clients probably in the last three years that's been an issue that we had to work through and all that stuff. So that's that's a whole different dynamic. Do you do you ever think that webcaming is a like? Cause I I see both sides of it. Cause I've heard and talked to cam girls in you know just people in my chat room alike, where they feel like they'll leave and stop watching a cam girl online because they feel like it's been detrimental to them. Like they're not going out and like seeking out social um, social situations to meet people. Or, but I also get the positive side where like I like logging on because you've helped me you know get my confidence up and I feel like I can go talk to a pretty girl and there's nothing to <clears throat> be afraid of. Is there a positive or negative to webcam specifically? It's it, it's, it depends on a person really because you, you see both those you see people become isolated because of it and that yeah. becomes a world yeah. and they can't get out of it. and that, that's the thing webcaming whatever it is it's 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 a it's a fantasy a narrative. Um, it's not the reality, and mm-hmm. so when people are just dealing the in, in that world and don't step out of that, that's when it becomes a problem. Yeah. To enjoy it is one thing. It's like reading a book. You can you can or watching a movie. You can enjoy a great movie, but no, it's not real. But when it becomes that's my world, and I get locked into that, I become and they become compulsive, and there's all the underlying issues, and usually it's personality disorder type of thing. And we see the same thing in video gaming, mm-hmm. same type of thing. They get caught up in that, and then their lives get out of balance and then that's where they live at and there's social anxieties and all these things that kick in um that that becomes a problem for them so but then the other on the flip side people have found connection and that's this is a very new thing with video gaming and also um the world of webcam and internet as a whole where it's been probably developed the last 20 years but we don't understand it fully because it's very very new as far as the mental health sciences are concerned because they can't study this stuff but it's the idea that you find connection. It went. We're now dealing with people with webcam girls, which makes them very unique. Is that there's a social connection. Mm-hmm. There's a dialogue. You may hear things from guys that you don't hear that they may tell no one else. Yeah. And so they feel connected and they feel bonded, and that's a whole dynamic with that. And that's something totally new that was never before with with erotica that we had before because it's gone from impersonal to personal mm-hmm. and and all that process so that's for some they can you know it's, it's part of the fantasy i walk in and i walk out of it some i i don't need that and that's an issue so it yeah. varies again, again goes back to bell curve it's 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 a minority not a majority so that's a minority okay um with the what you mentioned with like the video games and everything with streaming and how even the video games have become personal now because they're you're interacting with people and you're finding connection i'm i'm thinking that going forward i mean the way that technology is is progressing and the way that people are handling it and adapting to it I feel like yes a lot of people have less connection in their real lives like physical human connection where they're going out and having lunch with people or laughing or you know experiencing another person but more and more people are having that online connection that they're finding or that they're seeking out um and I personally think that that's that can be more harmful than good because even for me as a cam girl like I spend so much of my time 
locked up in my room online working where I find that I really need to get out and go hang out with humans and have that physical interaction because I get depressed and I get anxiety. So exactly, I feel like if it's happening to me, it's got to be happening to the end user as well, wouldn't it? Right, and that's 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 where it becomes a problem. Again, when I when my concern as a therapist, when someone I hear about someone involved in you know doing erotic of any form, shape, or form, whatever it may be, I I go okay, but what's the effect? The effect means is it affecting your social relationships, affecting your job, affecting your your school. Then we got to address it. We got to figure out what's going on and how we can approach it. And that's that's always and that's that's for the 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 member or the model either one applies because how does that affect in your world are you getting balance in life are you having human connection this can be fine but if you do it you know 16 24 hours a day that's going to be a problem um and those are the things we got to look at when i I always look at you know my my big spell ring is when i talk to clients about that as i say as i'll ask clients all the time well let me tell them how are you sleeping and they'll say well i'm sleeping you know three four hours a day well why and then while i'm playing video games or i'm online i'm doing okay and i'm watching i'm in cam girls or whatever and, and i'll go okay well that's not healthy dude you gotta you gotta change this up because you're creating a, a vicious cycle for yourself and then and then your anxiety is going out of hand your depression is going out of hand because you're not getting good balance in life and you step it back and address it that way so um, those type of things is kind of what you got to think about. What's the effect? Okay, you know, what's, what's the effect? effect? Are you able to maintain relationships? Yeah. Wait, is sleep a, just like a common denominator? That's an easy give. Why do you address sleep? That's that's yeah. Sleep is your biggest in, my, the biggest indicator you're going to find out is someone's being out of balance in life because most everyone needs you know, you know minimum six hours, but then they have like seven eight hours of sleep every day, and if they're not, no matter who they are, maybe the model or the user. Mm-hmm. Um, then it's, it's going to have an effect, and you're going to see a problem with that. And that's so that's that's more of an issue than anything else. Um, when you talk about balance, like because this is something I've always struggled with, and I think it's more my personality traits. Like I'm always all work and no play. Like I I need to get this mm-hmm. done, and if I go out, then I'm just I'm losing money because I'm not you know online. Right. Um, what it what when you talk about balance, what does that mean? Like what parts of your life need to be balanced, and what are the percentages if you cut it into a pie like what what is balance if you cut it into a pie you need it's 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 by thirds eight hours work eight hours you know kind of life stuff eight hours sleep is a good is is a good thing to follow because and the problem is though this is this is true for anybody that's self-employed because the webcam model is Mm self-employed and so that creates the it's they're entrepreneurs they, they it's feast and famine and so it's really hard to manage and balance that whole dynamic how do you because if you're not working you're not getting paid yeah um and you're you know you're there's this whole demand that's out there and there's always you're the ones got to take care of yourself and that's that's true for anyone that's self-employed entrepreneur type personality um and most people when they go to a job they put punch a clock they leave and they and they leave the work in their place when you when you're a webcam girl this is one of the challenges that you don't leave your job because your job's at your home yeah. And so th- you have to have some kind of boundaries on that that's realistic and healthy. Um, you know, I, I always do by thirds. That's a general rule. Now, you can can you do an eight, ten hour shift? Sure, you could. But you better. But again, sleep is always your biggest indicator. If you're um, one thing that that um, that I'll see webcam girls do and it makes me nervous. And I've known a few of them over the years. And I say, you know what? You're just don't do this. This makes me nervous. I sound like an old man, but oh, well, <laughs> they'll do alcohol and do Red Bulls and alcohol and Red Bulls and Red Bulls and rockahol and coffee. And this, that's how they do their thing. And they're, yeah. they're, they're on this jazz. And that's, that's dangerous. You're not going to get your sleep's going to get messed up. Then you'll see depression go up. This anxiety go up. Your 
biologically pushing all those systems to keep you in balance out of whack and that's going to be unhealthy and so those type of things are, are what you know be careful of if you can't do that if you can't we also know study wise people can't work seven days a week they need to take at least one day if not two days and we often we work on four days a week three days off four days a week is our maximum you can do four days 12 10 12 hour days no problem but we gotta have three days off that's you know that's that's optimal that's super interesting okay well and even like in america in general because we work people not considering like china and like other places that have insane you know working hours but we in america we work people way harder when you compare us to european countries that have like you know extended leave for parents and all of these mm-hmm. vacation days and things like that do you think work in general um in this like our country's culture is too yeah. extreme and then what we see is we see the whole side hustle thing where you're trying you're, you're doing this you're doing you may be doing a lift or a uber side job or mm-hmm. second job or something else you're trying to get some extra money and this and that and that that mentality is kind of a, very much a real thing and webcam and just came from most came out from my understanding is really a side hustle then it branches out into full time yeah. yeah but it's still it's that high demand but you you have to maintain balance with that so when i have clients coming out i'll speak to let's see today i have three in my docket two of them the, it's all life balance stuff I got to work with. Their anxiety is in a whack because of life. And that's majority of my, majority of my work that I do with on different individuals is trying to get them get balance, get to a baseline. Um, and like, for example, when someone's living in a life and they're dealing with a lot of panic attack issues, sleep is out of, out of whack, diet's out of whack. Mm-hmm. And we have to address that first. They're not eating properly. They're not eating three balanced meals. They're not eating. They're not getting enough sleep. So we got to address that and get that in back of the line. And that's just basic, you know, scheduling your day and planning out and giving it your, not mm-hmm. your life space because mm-hmm. your body eats that, you know? Yeah, definitely. Like, and I would assume, and tell me if I'm wrong, but in my experience, when I talk to people, like, just throughout life, I notice a really high amount of people dealing with anxiety and depression. And I don't, is that a balance thing? And is that push more because of our culture where like in, in the U.S. right now, it's very popular and um, prestigious, I guess, to be an entrepreneur and to have that side hustle and to, you know, be building a quote unquote empire. Is that, is the anxiety and depression that we're seeing kind of a result of this like unattainable or unreasonable, you know, standard? Right. And then plus I can go to my, my, my PCP and ask my primary care physician and ask for a, a script and then they'll give me, you know, a, 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 med, a medication, a SSRI medication that'll help me maintain that so I can keep on going. Yeah. When the best thing to do is, and they come and see me and they pay me for an hour to sit down and talk with them. And they just, just the hour of sitting down and talking and thinking and that doing is a powerful thing in itself, let alone yeah. the, the, the process of therapy. So, yeah, and if people realize that if they just take some time off and give themselves some space and do some what we call self-care, um, that's vitally important. You know, I mean, I, I work, you know, I do 10-hour days, 12-hour days, four days a week, plus eight hours on Friday, plus I'll do six hours on Saturday or something like that, four to six hours on a Saturday. But I also run three, four days a week, you know, Sundays off completely. You know, there's got to be balance and all that stuff. you got to yeah. give yourself time and space. When, when you talk about balance too, it can that be further divided up into like, because when I, whenever I usually hear people talk about balance, like we need to have like a spiritual side of your life that's in balance with your work side. And then you need a physical activity side that, you know, keeps you healthy. Is there more to it than just life, work, sleep? Are those parts as well? Those, those are the basics. Cause if you can't, it's hard for you to, you know, no one, no one can, can receive a whole lot emotionally, physically, 
if works work and sleep and all that stuff exactly. and sleep and eating are balanced. If those are if someone's too hungry, they they're not gonna you know be well. If they're not without enough sleep, they're not gonna be able to emotionally function well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that's that's a huge issue. So uh, those are you start there and then go from that. Then yeah, it goes to what's purpose in life. It depends on the stage stage of life you're in. When you're in your twenties and thirties and forties, you wanna you're in producing things. You wanna you know make you wanna create wealth and so forth. And when you get in your fifties and sixties and seventies, it's about is it purposeful. Is it valuable? Is it something bigger than myself? That goes in spiritual and beliefs and all that and all that, which are extremely valuable because that's going to sustain you. Otherwise, you'll go back to that. Mm-hmm. That's Erickson theory of, of development and uh, then Korbach's theory of, of uh, moral development. So we got to keep working. You know, we have to. That's kind of how we function. We we want to produce. We want to do. Then we want to see bigger values. But yeah, yeah. But you have to address those things first. And so I was address that first. How you sleep and how you eating first. Because if those things aren't balanced, then it's going to be you won't be able to get to those higher level type of things, which you want to do because you're mm-hmm. human. So basically, from what I'm gathering too, it's it's very individualized. Like the minority of issues that people associate with porn are are the minority they're not the majority and maybe some certain people are going to be predisposed because of their lifestyles or the things that they're putting themselves through or just the things that they the, the you know surroundings are putting them through to be more there, at risk there, yeah, well there, there's some there's some people that just because of who their their nature their compulsive nature their anxiety their depression they shouldn't be part of it. you know they shouldn't be doing porn Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's it's just, there's some personality disorders that it's just, there's that's the last thing they need need to do. Uh, they're gonna you know it's, they're gonna be constantly focused on it. They're gonna be they're gonna be the ones they're gonna, they'll be they'll be the stalker type that will just go way too far and go after the cam girl and, and all that fun stuff. For the cam girls, there are some that they're they're so they have social phobias and they do cam and it brings out this whole new personality and they enjoy that and it's very vibrant for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some with that the the criticism from the from members of whatever. Um, and that tears them up and you know puts them into, into depression. Yeah. You can't escape that. And so, again, that depends on that individual. But those things that are the big bell ringers, such high depression, high anxiety, uh, schizophrenic, um, you know, those types of things, you know, these and or personality disorders they that are clinical, that are you know diagnosed and clear, they need to probably stay away from that because they'll have a tough time maintaining that balance, and they'll be I'll be pushing against that. Does that make sense? Yeah, that no, that makes sense. So, okay, so um, before I get too far ahead of ourselves, so for transparency for people that are listening, I forget people are listening uh, or will be listening. Um, this would be, this is someone that's been in my chat room. That's actually how I met him was through online. Um, and for transparency, because he did want to remain anonymous, I he sent me his, um, his degree and his licensing. So I know he's legit. And when you're talking to someone who's, you know, a professional, um, do you ever go into girls' chat rooms and sit back and just diagnose them? <laughs> No, no, no. Do you ever see no, warning signs? Everyone, all my friends, family, you know, they want me to diagnose them. I say, you don't pay me enough because, you know, hey, if you want me to diagnose, it's 150 bucks an hour. Okay. But, <laughs> but uh, no, because, you know, that's just that I don't do that. You know, if, if someone asks me a question, I mean, I mean I've been really kind of guarded about being a therapist with, in the mm-hmm. can room. So that's kind of a, a new thing. Oh, yeah, I do this. Yeah, that's what I do. 
Yeah, and I've so it's kind of funny how it's come up, and they ask me questions, but usually it's about, okay, I got this one member, a couple of asking, okay, I got a member a stalker, stalker, what do I do about it? Mm. You know, they've talked about that sort of thing, and, and so, but outside of that, no, I don't, because, you know, it's just not. I will, when I see something like, you know, they're doing way too much caffeine and alcohol, I'm like, you know, you're scaring me, I'll make a comment, but that's about it, so. Mm. Wait, what would your advice be to the, the cam girls that are experiencing stalkers or people that are exuding stalker behavior? The, the best thing to do, because that's, that's a personality disorder that that just gets fed. And there's it's really, really hard because uh, because of the social media, because of all the content that you may put out there, mm-hmm. it's hard to, to cut them off. But that's the best thing to do is cut them off. Keeping your things private, um, I mean, you can't put you can't layer enough your privacy for because of that. That's the one thing you got to think about to the point that, you know, uh, I forgot who it was. I remember reading an article about one of the other cam girls. I think it was Molly Stewart. She referred to it on her, on her, on her Twitter. That was really good about, you know, the dark side of cam and how she got kind of outed as far as where she lived and all that. And there's some things you need to do, such as set an LLC, mm-hmm. set up a private company so they can't track you down through your business. Um, name and all that so there's a lot of things you gotta really think about keeping yourself secure so that to keep that stock at a distance and uh, and, and keep them away because you know there's they, those those things that are probably the most um, when they do come up they can be very very detrimental yeah and you know that's that's just a real risk yeah I mean I, I would I hate to give out numbers but based off of all the girls I've talked to I would say probably 50% have either been doxxed or they're you know they've been exposed for their actual location or their city or their phone number or who they're dating or whatever it is but it's really hard when you have all the social media and you're putting out tons of content and something simple like you took a picture with your iPhone and tweeted it but if people want to dig in they can get location information from the digital photo like it's right yeah if you don't have the right security stuff but yeah yeah um, when you're talking about like watching girls on cam and you see them downing all this caffeine and, and alcohol, do you think that our jobs put us at risk for like higher addiction issues or, or things like that? I think it's, I think because the demand of, of kind of the self-employed and you got to be on and you got to perform mm-hmm. that puts you, cause see you got, I mean, you're, I mean, I think a big part of cam girls, you're not your true self on cam. That doesn't create tokens like, like a better term yeah, okay yeah so you it's a performance and mm-hmm. so you can perform but that takes a lot of energy a lot of output to do that and then so some that may have a bent towards doing uh, substance too much would use that to keep them going and that can be a problem mm-hmm. um so again if it, it, it what's the effect if you're if you if you get off cam after your shift that you set a time to do or your goals that you want to do and get off and you're still buzzed from the caffeine or, or having the effect of the alcohol. And alcohol is, just, is a depressant, and that doesn't help depression at all. Mm-hmm. So, um, in my general bent, I'm not big. You know, people go, "Well, about marijuana?" I, I'm not. A, I'm not. I don't. I don't like any substance at all. Okay. Uh, it's just my bent. Um, and so, you just push. You just push. You just push depression more. You push anxiety more. When you, when you caffeine feeds anxiety. High dose of caffeine, you're doing more than two, you know a couple cups every you know, couple hours or whatever. You're pushing your anxiety up with caffeine. Um, you are um, if you're doing if you're if you're taking such as a Xanax or a or a, a, an SSRI or whatever you know a, psych, a psychotropic medication for for depression or anxiety. You, when you take alcohol, marijuana, uh, those do not help those at all, mm-hmm. and uh, you're kind of fighting yourself with that. So 
those types of things, when you do those things, it just really amps it up. And so it just doesn't, you, you know, you may say I can do it for a while, but eventually it's going to, you're going to crash and burn because your body can't, your body's not designed for that. Yeah. I, I, with my own experiences with anxiety, I, when I researched like what I can do about it and what things I should be doing about it, the big one that stuck out was the caffeine. And when I stopped the caffeine, that definitely helped. There was other issues too, but the caffeine was definitely super helpful to get off of that. Um, do you think, see, and this is something I get a lot, where people assume a lot about a lot of cam models or girls in the adult industry, um, that we have daddy issues or there is some, you know, male trauma that took place in our lives. And I kind of addressed this in my first episode because I don't, I don't really feel that that's my case um, or the case for a lot of girls I know. But is there something to that, or is that is that the majority of girls or people in the adult industry? It's 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 the bent that you if you look at like the studies and so forth. There's not been a lot of studies on this stuff. That's that's that gives you a really good picture. I mean, like yeah. a couple. But when they really studied hard, they studied the the, the really bad stuff, such as you know, uh, masochism and things of that nature and the abusive type of stuff. And mm-hmm. they and so it's kind of the idea. You know, years ago. If um, when you if you work with kids teaching or you know, it goes back 20, 30 years, if you work with kids in a teaching environment, you volunteered for Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts or work in Boys and Girls Club, you did an app, you filled out an application, and then on the application they asked you, were you abused as a child? And that would be a that would be almost a, a, a trigger to say no, you couldn't work with kids anymore, mm-hmm. um, because the because what it was, they found the people that were abused that were abusers of kids were abused as a kid. So they said, well, then the, the idea was, well, then, well, those that abuse were, were abused, abused. Well, that's not always, that actually is maybe those that abuse have been abused are abusers. Okay, look at this right. Those that are abusers have been abused. It's like 30%. Okay. Uh, so it's not that go ahead and abuse others. It's not all across the board. Again, it's that bell curve by dynamic mm-hmm. where the majority don't, but the minority do. And so you can't broad, you can't put that out there. So when you, when you say everyone has daddy issues, you're you're, you're pulling stuff from because those that do abuse or whatever, then you know if a father abuses a child when she's young, and that's this goes back to the idea of how how do we get our sexual identity, our sexual kind of power that's discovered starting in you know late, you know late uh, uh, early adolescence and all the way through. It's a long process that we go through. Key things that happen in those events create bond with that. You know, it creates this uh, attachment bond to uh, that sexual uh, sexual thing. It can be it can be you know, use it use with the other person. It can be through porn. It can be things that go uh, we call fetish. Almost all fetishes. I don't I don't care who it is. I've always gone back to about ten, eleven. Something came up for a boy, maybe a little bit older for a girl, and that's where it kicked in. And it was something. It goes to that was arousing. That was exciting. And that and then, so they built their sexual identity off of that. Mm. And so, if that happens with with between a father and a daughter, abusive or or, or or rejection, there's a lot of layers of that. It, that will kind of work itself out. So, but it doesn't. It's not always true. So, it has some validity to it. That okay, okay, thirty percent time you have to you want to deal with that. But nah, usually, most times not. So, yeah. it's just you know how they want to do it. And again, it depends on what they're doing. If someone's been in sadomasochism, there's a history there somewhere of of, of abuse that's going to come in. And and they're trying to wrestle with that, and mm-hmm. so we're going to address that. Do you, Does so, that make sense? Yeah, no, definitely. The the when you're talking about like pseudomasochism, I can't even say that word. Um, <laughs> when you're talking about stuff like that, and sometimes like when you're like the things that they're making porn about, like these extreme 
insane things and they're labeling it fetish or they're labeling it, you know, almost okay. Like they're putting the stamp of approval on it. Do you think that that's furthering people's issues in general? I, it, it does. And it does. And that, yeah, so you, you're tapping into something that's kind of, you know, isn't, isn't healthy. Again, it, for majority of people, you're going to go, okay, whatever. There's, there's a natural curiosity mm-hmm. about stuff that's ailing taboos. People want to look at it. But those that get fixated on it, and then you kind of kind of wonder what's going on. And it, it can be not as necessarily this. And most sex issues have nothing to do with sex. It has to do with relationships. It has to do with power. Mm-hmm. Has not, and, and it has nothing to do with what's going on as far as the sexual activity, the fetish, if you would. That's the outer of the of the actual inner world that's going on for that person. And when we and we got to address that. So, mm-hmm. and how that works out can be a gazillion different ways because we're individuals as we are individual. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you, I, I've heard, heard this before on, on another podcast that I listened to actually, but when you're talking about, uh, sexual identity and how for boys, it's a bit younger, I think you said eight to 11 and girls, it's a bit older. What are those time periods exactly? And, and can you elaborate on what, what that means? Most of the time, because, and it gets, it's more of a, I, you know, I've done most of my work with, 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 with guys and looking at how they came about, where they came about. Uh, where they get caught up into something they can't let go of, um, maybe a porn problem, maybe a sexual identity issue or whatever that they're having a, a problem with. Something happened that bonded them at between ages of eight and eleven. It can be uh, they got involved watching porn when they're when they're a young boy. At age ten, they found something in a parent's room, and that becomes part of their kind of how they always relate to their sexuality or whatever, or at least part of it. Um, and it. So age 18, as early as 8, as old as 11, maybe 12, that can be the case for boys. And it goes, you know, there's a theory kind of it's going by Freud talked about a little bit. Most people don't like that. And then, you know, Erickson has an idea of theory, how we kind of develop that further. And others came other theories along those lines. But it's, uh, it's just, it's, they, they find some connection with, with something and it's, that sexually allows them to stimulate them. And that just, and it gets those, when we think about addiction and bonding and, um, which is a gray line between the two. There, we create kind of pathways in our mind, patterns in our mind, how we think and mm-hmm. how we how we function. So, if we create something that's because sexuality and orgasms are very, very powerful thing, one of the most powerful things that we experience, that we create a bond to that. And if it comes at an early age, then we hold on to that bond, and that becomes a source of us of pleasure that we always seek out. And that's because we create a pathway in our in our brain that that's always functioning. Addicts do the same thing, where it becomes like an alcohol addict or an opiate addict. That that bond is it's that there's a they can study your brain and see these how your brain's affected and affect in a negative way, and it's really hard to change that. And that's why addiction is hard to break that way. You have the same thing with sex, sex with your sex and orgasm, mm-hmm. but it's not as 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 detrimental if you would. You can it can it can change over time. Interesting. So. So that so that that creates that bond, but those things happen for you know kids at you know girls or boys eight to 11, 12 years old, girls a little bit older. You see like ten, basically when they start having they if they have their period and they start realizing their own sexual arousal points. Whenever they start feeling sexual arousal and external stimuli, and they can watch something, they go, "Wow, that that's making me excited." That can lead into a whole, whole different thing, and and sometimes usually and everyone goes through this. It's how how far they go, how strong it is. If, if you're in a good, healthy, balanced family connected with other people, you may feel those things, but they won't have a strong connection. They won't 
lead you they won't push you one way or the other if you are devoid of emotional connection with other people and you're kind of in a hole and kind of separate from yourself and very isolated if you find that that will be extremely strong to you and you'll be you'll that can be down the down the road for you a big part of your life and that's mm-hmm. that's where people can, can can be affected that way so that's where you see family dynamic social dynamic and and all that you know because if you know if parents want to raise if you want to raise up a good healthy child um, then be a good healthy parent and that's your best odds um, if you don't if you want to create a child that's going to be you know have problems with personality disorders then lead them in isolation that's that's the reality because they have less attachment and things kind of got to work themselves out one way or the other so that's really interesting okay um we're since we're on the topic of children or you know adolescents what do you think like a psychological impact is on children who one have parents in the industry and in what their upbringing might it might be different or they might get made fun of at school what do you think that effect would be on them psychologically because i mean they're going to be possibly at those ages when they're extremely impactful Right. Um, we don't. We don't know. You know, there's no grand studies to give us any indication of, of this. But what we do know, again, it goes back to if you have a good, healthy family, healthy balance, healthy emotions, everything's in place. It doesn't matter what the parents do; it has very little effect upon the kids. Interesting. That would just, no. I mean, it's just if if the if the parents are out of whack, the kids will be out of whack. If the parents are living healthy lives, balanced lives, and and they, part of their job that they do is something in the adult industry or whatever industry they want to do. Um, there's nothing to say that that's going to be a problem. What we do see is, let's say, because of, let's say they get into substance issues or whatever, that will have a greater effect. Uh, where I where I see, right, I've only seen it. How many times have we dealt with that? Where some of that would be considered on the fringe of culture. The parents involved with it. The the job that affect the child as much as the substance issues. Um, uh, those type of things had had an effect on the on the, on the child. That was, you know, the dad's addiction to opioids or alcohol were way more of an issue than what where he worked or that he ran. Like, a, you know, worked with family that dad ran a, was don't manage a strip club or whatever. Mm. And you know, and it, the strip club was not the issue. You know, because the kids went to school, they had a real life. It, it was the dad's job. It wasn't really people didn't broadcast it, but people kind of knew. But it, mm-hmm. it was like, no, no big deal. But um, and the kids weren't really. You know they were just, they weren't singled out for, but um, his alcoholism was an issue. That was the issue, and they, you know he was working at a strip club that had a bar. It's like you know you got to think about what you want to do with your life, yeah. and so that was a big effect. Um, if again the issues there are more of a risk of substance issues than anything else, that's the issue. That's what I see as more of a concern. Do you so? And I, I ask this because I, I'm at a point in my life where I'm married, and in the future I will be looking to have a family. And for me personally, obviously, you guys online know this, I just moved to a really small town, moved from Chicago, which was a really big city. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of the things I fear when going to have a family is, one, uh, raising a child in a small town is very um, uh, overwhelming to me. Because I grew up in a place where the person you're driving by or walking down the street, like, they have no idea who you are because there's just so many people. You know, nobody knows your business. It was very easy to blend in there, especially with the work I was doing um in my adult life but then here no one here knows what I do currently and that's a constant fear in the back of my head is like when they find out am I going to be like exiled or you know people are going to pick it at my property line like I have those concerns and then if I throw a child in the mix in a small town setting I feel like that impact on that kid's life and upbringing could be so much more detrimental because their social circle and their environment is going to be so limited 
Uh-huh. Do you think that there's a difference between like raising a kid in a small town in a big city? I think because yeah, I think the, the difference is you're more anonymous in a big city than you are in a, in a smaller community. Yeah. And so that can be good and it can be bad. It gives great strength. It also gives, you know, that vulnerability to it. Mm-hmm. And so how would that, could that affect? Sure. Um, it could, but it could be no effect at all. Okay. That's kind of your business and you don't really care. It doesn't affect, again, most people, you know, there's a, one recent study was done on, um, McKinsey Institute was posting an article about how, um, we're seeing a big change in our culture with uh, with uh, prostitution because it's no longer street prostitution. That's an extremely minor part of it. It's all online escorts, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And, and the reason and and it's it's actually huge. It's actually the industry grown because people don't see it. They don't care. Yeah. Um, and so if if and so in the in the in a webcam world, if people don't see it, they don't care. If it's kind of kept private, that's your business. That very well could be the case, and, and it won't affect what others may see because in the general culture yeah you're going to bump against people that agree or disagree as you as you said stated mm-hmm. there are people that are, are affirming there are people like think that you're like you know not okay and this yeah. is not okay this is wrong this is an evil um and so you have to kind of know that that's that's the risk you have with that yeah. um but yet on the hand too you know we're seeing more and more people really don't care if they don't if it doesn't if they don't see it they don't care about it and it's kind of separate from them so that's i think we're seeing that shift I hope so. God, for my sake. <laughs> um, yeah, it's tough. It's tough. Yeah. Do you think that, like, do you think it would affect a, a young daughter differently than a young son? Do you think there's a difference in genders when you're raising them if you have experience in the adult industry as a parent that it could affect your daughter versus your son differently? It's more, so much cultural because in yeah. our culture we put so much on image Mm-hmm. And so it's, you know, how you look and how you, you know, and, and, and there's, there's so much demand upon girls to look perfect, if you would. Yeah. Could that have effect upon a young girl growing up um, more than what's already there? I don't know. But it's always present. And that's where as parents, you have to really kind of wrestle with that. And um, it goes back to if you have a balanced home, an open, an open, emotional balanced, loving, unconditional love home will create the best balanced kids. Okay. Hands down. Um, when we do that, that creates a great base. And so when parents can love unconditionally, they create kids that love unconditionally. So, and then the daughters are strong enough to deal with whatever comes down the pipe. And so, um, you know, uh, when talking about, and that goes back to when kids are at appropriate age, talking about, well, when we get anxious or whatever, or we get depressed, that's what we do. And as well, mom and dad do. I remember seeing an article about, on, uh, I forgot who, what star it was. He put on, his daughter was being interviewed by the mom about going where daddy was. And daddy was at his alcoholics not speaking or whatever. And and because uh, the daughter was aware of it. And I thought that was great. I thought mm-hmm. that was, because the dad was being open about his honesty, about his his troubles, his challenges, and his and his you know he's making really good choices. Um, that's very powerful. And so when you can do that as a parent, you create that environment in your home. That's a very dynamic family that can be very healthy. That doesn't have secrets. Secrets are are what hurts family quite a bit. So, but when raising kids, they can't don't have the ability to understand everything. If you expose someone too too early to something such as pornography. They could have a detrimental effect because they can they can latch onto them in a way you had not intended, mm-hmm. and they can 
it could be something that could be a problem down the future. So you're better off waiting till they, you know, 16, 17, till you kind of evolve. Just what is what I do, and you know, or maybe 18, 19, 20, so that, or I did, or whatever it may be, so that they have the ability to kind of comprehend it and, and, and process it fully. Okay. So does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes sense. And with like the impact on young girls, then this is something I feel really passionate about because. I, with the whole, you know, this era that we're living in, we have the Me Too movement and we have women, especially young women, finally speaking up and finding their voices to, to say things that have happened to them and stuff like that. I, I definitely have an interest in, in exploring and trying to understand the best way to raise a young woman in our culture, culture in America, in our society in present day, because I know from my own experiences and from the experiences of women I know that almost I don't know a single woman that hasn't experienced you know sexual assault or some kind of sexual trauma in their lifetimes and that's a a very high terrifying percentage so when I think about young women as opposed to raising young men I I lean towards how do you raise a young girl who won't be afraid to stand up for herself and because we're constantly beat into submission with our societal standards as women it's like you need to be polite and you need to be quiet and you need to all these things we tell little kids, you know, right. um, whereas a boy, if he's running around and being loud and obnoxious, oh, he's just a boy being a boy. But when you're a girl, it's like, well, you, she's, she's, you know, not being ladylike or she's not polite right. or right. all of these things. So it's like from a very young age, we're telling girls that they can't speak up, that they can't, you know, find their voice, that they can't do all these things. And then later we wonder why they didn't say anything. So I don't know what the balance is when you're specifically with young girls, like, how do you make them feel like they can do those things and still fit in? Because when you're a tiny child, all you want is friends and to be accepted. That's your, you know, instinct. It's it goes back to raising emotionally intelligent kids. And the best thing as parents, the best thing they can do starting early on, and it kind of goes balanced in life. You know, the biggest thing that you know successful parenting does. One of the funny statistics that we know, statistics that we know is that if you if you have a if you have a regular dinner time. <laughs> three uh, just three times a week and you sit down and talk as humans at the dinner table um that will help you have better kids in school and more productive and the more successful in life it's kind of a funny thing hmm. and i take adding on to that i add on to and develop within your family system um you know uh an open communication um parents being you know modeling to the children that parents are equal that both parents have a, a valid say uh, I think you know parents that have conflict and and they they don't hide the conflict. They I mean you don't get get crazy with it, but they know mom and dad have conflict and they resolve conflict. That's extremely powerful. Hmm. But then uh, when you have that family dinner and you sit down and you talk to the kids, you ask your kids, "Tell me your best part of your day and your worst part of your day," and listen to the thought and the feeling that kids feel. The thought is the logic that they felt. The feeling was I felt sad, mad, whatever it is, mm-hmm. and identify it um, and value it treat it as something important and make sure that the kids know what they think and feel is important. When you do that and put that as a building block in their life, that will give them that great strength to okay. say no. Okay. And then you model that by saying this is what I, you know, I had a really crappy day and, um, you know, and things weren't really good. And, you know, that's, that, that opens up a whole world of conversations. And, you know, so I'm, I'm a little bit older. I got kids in their twenties and they, we, you know, because I'm a therapist, I, I've always done that. And so my kids, when I talk to my kids on the phone, who one who lives in Chicago now and one who lives here, um, when I call my, talk to my son in Chicago, he always says, hey, you know, he tells me, without me asking what his thoughts and feelings are, you know, and, and just because he's kind of, it's kind of 
put in put in, into play. So, mm-hmm. and we do that because that creates strong kids, and um, that we know we know research wise. And if you want to dig more into that, goes into um, uh, Gottman. Gottman is a family as a marriage counselor, but his stuff really works on, on family also. And Bowen theory is also another one mm-hmm. that talks about a lot of that stuff of openness, communication, um, knowing to understand where the power lies a balance of power between parents because that's what it relies on knowing that that power changes as parents get older and kids need to take care of parents. Um, you know, but you need to share and empower your kids that way, but it takes, you gotta be very intentional about it. And that goes back to the couple themselves, you know, talk about thoughts and feelings and being, being solid themselves and then, and then start working with that with the kids and, uh, doing the whole process. And again, it doesn't start when they're, th- you know, two years old it, as they get more older and all that fun stuff, but mm-hmm. expressing the emotions and that being okay and, and balancing it all out, knowing that when kids blow up, they're going to, they're going to blow up, but then they'll calm down and, you know, keep moving after that point. And so, um, that's what's how you're going to work with it that way. That, that makes, makes sense? a lot of sense. Yeah. My, um, I, it's funny that you said that because that you're basically, you know, you're talking a lot about like validating their feelings because if you make them exactly. feel like their feelings are real and, and you understand mm-hmm. them, then they know that they have something to speak up on because what they're feeling is real, so they can say something exactly. about it. Exactly. Um, my, exactly. My husband, he's the first relationship, honestly, that I can say that I've been in where I could tell him I'm feeling something, and even if he doesn't agree with why I'm angry or why I'm upset or why I'm sad about it, um, he has a great way of validating that I'm okay to feel that way, and there's reasons I'm feeling that way, and he understands that, and that's been super powerful in us having such good communication, so hearing you say that makes it like me realize like, Oh, that's why this is working. You know, like that's yeah. what I need to provide for my kids in the future. That's super cool. Okay. Yeah. yeah that, that, that's, that's key. And again, if you want, you know, John Gottman has a, done a lot of work on that stuff and, and he has a few, there's a, you can Google him and YouTube him and all of that stuff. And there's a lot of great resources on there. There's a, if you, it's a fun thing to do with kids. It's called the Gottman app and uh it's the Gottman relationship cards. It's a app you can get online, get on your iPhone or Apple. And I I'll refer this to clients. For couples do it together as themselves, which is a lot of fun. And then also for them to take some questions out of those on the love map questions and ask their kids because, you know, you want to understand the world per- of the person and your kids and uh, keep a, that dialogue open because that creates strong kids. Oh, wow. I'll have to look into that. That actually does sound like fun. Um, <laughs> when, so, and this is kind of circling back a little bit, but you had said like the correct way when you're talking about erotica and the industry to like for me if I when I have kids I'm gonna have to have that conversation where I'm like well you know I did this and you need to be aware of that because I don't want there's this this fear I have that when is the right time to tell my future kids like what I've done because one I don't want to hit them at that age where they're impactful and I create some weird monster but (laughs) I also they if you're saying that there needs to be that dialogue like what is a a good way to even approach something like that and what is the correct age to to do that because I don't want to expose them to something incorrectly or too right. early yeah and then you know when we're talking with kids about sex and all that fun stuff you know you, you can start talking about sex as a whole no too soon because it's a part of their life and part of who they go but that's got to be developed appropriate so mm-hmm. and always always have an open conversation say hey you know do you want to talk because usually we give the kids parents way too much information they go they get freaked out but if we say, you know, open conversation, bring it up, talk about it, all that stuff as it comes up, that's great. When it talks about that type of topic, something they can understand. We know that they can handle, they can, we know that they can understand stuff, but can they understand it, consequences, the process of it all, the bigger picture of it all? They lack that ability to about age 16, between 18. It's not a hard number. 
So, er, you know, the earliest would be 16, latest would be 18, maybe even 20. Um, it depends on that child and their ability to understand. Before that, you, 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 can, you can, you know, poke into something that can be, um, you know, create, create a monster for you, if you will, like a better term. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, 16, 18, maybe as late as 20, depends on, on the child and where they're at, development and understanding. And, you know, empathy is a big play with that, understanding, um, uh, uh, just understanding consequences. Do they, can they understand, okay, time down the road so that um, uh, they understand the cho- and they understand why you made those choices, those things, why it was important for you. And, you know, that's your individual story, and uh, they can they can relate to that. And there's parts of that, you know, you can say I do, you know, I do my own business. Like I said, I know uh, um, I, uh, I came out of, you know, I, I, um, before I got into counseling, I did IT work, so I did some web work for her and stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I talk to her uh, on the phone or I chat with her now and then, and it's not in cam, it's just us chatting like friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I've known her for years. I know her husband and stuff. And so she's got kids. Her youngest is 10 or something like that. Her oldest is in her like the same age as my 25 and they don't know anything about the job her 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 her, her canning they just this is not part just i ain't gonna tell them about that and that's fine um so do you have to tell them no um there's something to be said that you don't have to say that you don't have to talk about that that's up to you that's your private world um you don't you know that's that's your parenting choice some parents i have to tell them that i gotta be open with them about that you know, a lot of depends because for her, it's it's a part kind of a part time job. It's not a full time mm-hmm. major income source for her. I don't think she's out there as much as you are with your with media and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's more contained. Um, so she can make that choice, and she's been very careful with some things. Um, if you know, if if this is a big big part of your your income and how you function and what you do, and you have a whole room separate for your work, and just you know, because like, what's that room for? Well, you know, if that's something you got to kind of say. Well, that's where mommy does her work or whatever, and mm-hmm. that's okay. So, but then as they grow up, that's one thing. Kids have their world, and that's the world they know. Yeah. They don't know any other world. So you got to think about it. If they get confronted with a world outside of, uh, you know, when they deal with other kids, go to other homes, and they, well, they don't have a webcam room, and they don't have, you know, that sort of stuff. And you got to think about it that way. Okay, how if 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 it's if that comes up, how is that going to work itself out? And that may be we the the narrative you create is not a lie, but you don't create out. It's a, it's a sexual business, but it's a you know consulting business or something like that, so that it doesn't become a problem that they're like, oh wait a minute, you know. Or you know what's going on here, type of thing. Yeah. And I think in those awkward years of the early early adolescent years. I think my biggest fear is that if I don't say anything, and then they like, given like it's for a male especially because I think women are just less they use porn less. Uh, I, that's what I would assume. I don't know if I'm correct yes. on that. Um, You're very correct on that. Okay, so if I'm if I have a young boy, I mean between sixteen and twenty, he's for sure already looking at porn online. <laughs> There's no way he's not. And my biggest fear is like I don't want him to see videos of me online and then become this like fetish weirdo. <laughs> right. Not that all fetish people are weirdo. That's totally not true. And I don't want to give up right. that impression. But I don't want him to go into something and that bond to him in a strange way where he becomes strange. <laughs> right. And that's and the odds are of him maybe most the natural rejection like oh if, if he picked up that was like you he'd be like oh, no, I'm gonna stay away from that. So yeah. That's you know you know Freud would say yes he would but reality no you would so. Um, it's, it's, it's something you got to kind of think about how you want to protect it. You know, so, you know, you may want to think, okay, we have like, you know, technology wise. Okay. I, ha- I have this channel open for me to do my work, but then, you know, the rest of the house is locked down. My, you know, they're not going to get access to at least through the house. That's your biggest, you know, control what the kids have access to early on. That's mm-hmm. probably your best way to do that. And I, 
and I don't care. And I generally advise parents control your access to your kids to porn through their, through their most of their phones. It's the biggest thing you're going to receive it through. Be you know, be aggressive about it. Take advantage of the technology, and because you want to limit that, because you, you can open up Jimmy's bottle and then go sideways on it. That's that's a better way to control that. So. Do you do you ever think that that might be part of what's happening in our society? Because we're going through this era where we never had this internet like this. Like we don't really know right. what to do with this. So it makes me wonder if we are creating like a generation of strange humans because they're, they're well, looking at weird yeah, stuff. Well, look at Japan. Japan has this very disconnected culture where you know men are you know and women are, are when they they have this very sexualized or anime and this and it's mm-hmm. you know, very different system and culture how they function. And so, and then like you know, people don't aren't pursuing sex because they're doing it in the digital form or through art form, and they don't see no need for it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's is that good, bad, or indifferent? That's to me not good because we got to have person person contact. Yeah, and we're we are designed to be social. We're designed to be in community. We're designed to be in family. Yeah, that's that's his core. And so, um, if it's 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 we push the limits of it, the virtual sex stuff. Um, concerns me. It's t- it's very intense. Um, like the virtual that, reality, you mean? The virtual reality stuff that can get because we're you know, I've seen some stuff that's like that's to me like that's concerning. That's taking it to another level that I'm like eh, I don't know about that because what, what concerns you? you? What what things freak you out? If about you it? if you link if the because if you overload the senses too much with the virtual reality sexual experience, then and it's and, and for someone that isn't in a relationship they can just say i'm just going to stay here and not leave mm-hmm. and that that raised again what's the what's the effect when mm-hmm. i deal with a client that is um like years ago i had a client and he you know he came to me oh, i got a problem with Brian. okay well it's, and, I, and i have a set structure i follow it takes like three months and accountability and talking through it it's pretty kind of behavior it's no big deal and nothing was working with him and he he had a he had a base of major he had a you know depression anxiety and personality disorder also and he was so much to the point that he was he was engaged and got married, and um, he wouldn't have uh, sex with his wife after the, their their honeymoon night, the first wedding night. That was it. Mm-hmm. And um, because it, the he was so caught up into the imagery that he, you know, and she was, you know, she's a beautiful beautiful girl and all that, and he just that was that was too much. He could not. He if if that would have never entered his life, he'd been way better off. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so and those those types, those I see, those I deal with, those I work with, where they're choosing the porn or whatever over their spouse, we got a problem. And yeah. so, in a virtual reality type of thing, I could see that feeding that more and that concerns. That's yeah. where I'm like, eh, that's a little bit too much in my in my in my in my from my perspective. But yet, you know, there was a article in a paper not too long ago that someone wanted to open a uh, a doll brothel which is these oh i read that spots. i read that and uh here in the in the in the, in the metro area here in detroit and i was like no that's not i that's too it's life to life i mean i'm not big on brothels but i mean well that's still better than a doll you know yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know that's you know I, 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 you know I no that's going too far but then that concerns me as we as we creep that way i'm like oh boy so that can, that's that's why I kind of think yeah can we go too far yeah we can and but it's again again what's the effect um, what's the balance if it's entertainment if it's something you're just gonna do it's gonna uh, no it doesn't affect you anyway your work you can, you can afford it you're not going broke on it it's not hurting you hurting the model they're keeping balance with it no big deal you know where the webcam thing is 
given power to you as the models. You mm-hmm. don't have a publisher or someone else is taking all the money you're getting. You know, the company that's broadcast seeing the broadcast, they're taking a big chunk. I'm not sure if that's fair or not, but it's kind of yeah. beast. But yeah. but you still have a lot of power in that. And that's that's really, really a life change for a lot of, a lot of, well, of these uh, girl uh, for models like you, like yourself. Do you think and they're doing some, Go ahead, sorry. And that's making a big difference for them, and that's very powerful, and that's you know something to be able to think about. And I think is, is a healthier move than having controlled by dominant male, you know, yeah. you know the industry. So, and I was just talking about that to uh, the girl I had on the last podcast, the cam girl, because um, she has a little bit more insight to the adult industry just through people she knows than I personally do. But I think that's what sets aside camming that makes it so different is that we are in control of our bodies and what we do, 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 or don't do, or if we don't feel like, you know, performing that day, then we don't have to, um, versus the actual porn industry. And when I think porn, I think, you know, a paid actor, actress going to a set with, this is your checklist. These are the things that are supposed to happen today. And hopefully it pans out that way. But a lot of the time it doesn't. And then you get these women who, you know, probably weren't validated, like you said, as young girls and don't know how to use their voices and speak up or are afraid to say, stop the scene because they need that paycheck. Um, where that's where I think maybe what we're doing as webcam models is a lot healthier than Mm -hmm. being in porn. Um, would you agree with that or? Yeah, because it changes the power from from yeah. from from some a pornographer or publisher to you, yeah. and you set your limits and, all, and 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 control it a lot better. You get a lot more control out of it than someone else. When you go into doing a porn movie film, you're doing you're on the contract to do A, B, and C, and D, and usually it's not something that you you probably don't feel or not your natural comfortable doing. Yeah, and so that's to me that's always a boundary. Don't do set your boundaries. Know what your boundaries are. Um, you know, I've, you know, I've, I've made comment to, to models about, you know, using substance on, uh, in cam that I don't agree with too much. And also when they feel like they're pushing their boundaries, and, that's, and I go, stick, stick to your boundaries. That's always a good thing to do. Whatever they may be, stick to your boundaries because you'll always regret yourself if you push your boundaries. And yeah. that's, not a, that's not a good place to be. And so you set, those, you set that up, and that's very empowering, and that's, and that's very um, more democratic, if you would, and, uh, you know, is, is, is really good. So... Um, I think that's there's that's the real power of what we're seeing with the webcaming thing that's coming out. It's created a lot of entrepreneurship that has its you know self employment and, and managing that for the models can be a, a big challenge. And some models can't manage that, and they, yeah. and they need to step away from that. So. Yeah, I think um, with the boundaries thing, when you bring that up, that that I like to hear just even that word because I feel like when we're on camera, we get asked to do a ton of stuff that we're not never going to do, not considering, or just not interested in. And we do have that ability to be like, yeah, that's not happening. But for an actual adult actor or actress, they go into that thinking like, well, if I don't do this, like I can't level up in this industry. Like I won't get this next movie that I want. Like there's just so much more pressure, I feel like, on them to cross the boundaries because they want the the reward, the money, the fame, whatever, celebrity. Right. You know, the, the what studies have been done on sex workers, they did a, there was a study a long time ago on sex workers in Canada, which are legal there compared mm-hmm. to where, you know, in, in the States, it's, you know, it's only small pockets that it's legal, but there's more legal to be, you know, an escort or whatever. And there's a whole, there's a whole escort industry over there. And what they found out, those that did you know, were independent um, escorts compared to those that work with a, a house or whatever, mm-hmm. brothel or whatever, um, lasted longer, did, you know, they, they felt more 
they felt better about it. Uh, they had less substance issues. They had, it was in generally a better, healthier thing. And that, and I kind of put that to because they have the control compared to being in a control over some, of a manager of some sort, you know, mm-hmm. whoever they may, may be. Would you do you think that um, prostitution or sex work should be legalized? <sighs> it opens up Pandora's box in some ways. Um, there's there's some good things for limitations. But there's also good things to be said for people making adult decisions, mm-hmm. um, because because and you know because you know we we do a lot of training on, on human trafficking and because we see the the effect of that. Mm-hmm. It, there's a lot of big concerns and there's a lot of underground things in, in human trafficking that's connected with prostitution. That if you legalize it, it kind of would that push away against the human trafficking issue. That is a real thing that we got to be careful of. Mm-hmm. It takes away power from you know totally power from people. So um, that's where I kind of like eh, I don't know about that. Part of prostitution that we see, no matter if it's legalized or unlegalized, is that, that human trafficking. I mean, people taken and used um, in, in, a, in, in you know underage kids and so forth, um, and put into uh, under where they have no power, and someone else has the power to use in sex work and things of that nature. Um, there's a part of that that's that's part that's part of prostitution. There's also part of prostitution that's very healthy and normal and 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 the, where the women have the power and that's fine. They can set their own boundaries. Um, so when it gets into that, that's where I think people are, cons- our biggest concerns with you legalize it. That's where, if you open it up, how can we regulate the, the human trafficking side of it? And people argue that point quite a bit that if you made it legalized and the, that would be a one way to manage it and so forth. But my concern is that it's going to, it's not going to, and people argue that it would go away or diminish it or lower it some, but that's, there's no, evidence to prove that otherwise actually when you see that where sex is uh sex workers are more regulated and legalized you see more human trafficking so that's an issue that's an issue so Hmm. why that happens we don't know but it's an issue that we got to be concerned with and that's something i just like and that's again i go back to there's certain things that i think some where some people say no all this stuff is bad you can't do any of it i say it's fine there's some parts it's fine but there's a boundary and that's where i have okay that's that's an issue i have concern with i see okay um so and when I think about like sex work and the the stuff that we're doing, um, just a lot a lot of people argue that we we object, objectify women and we encourage you know men to look at it as a sexual objects. But at at the end of the day, isn't that the human nature? Yeah, yeah, we're sexual beings. Yeah, we're yeah. Sex- so and so. when I think about too, like obviously webcam and and the adult industry is completely different than like social media, but the standards and the norms that we're putting out. Like even on my my Instagram and stuff, it's this unreal unrealistic expectation. Like I work really hard to look the way I do because that's how I earn my living, and a lot of the girls on social media are in the exact same same thing. It's not adult right. industry, but they're doing the same same routine. You know, um, right. does do you think that that's having an effect on society? Just seeing all these you know beautiful airbrushed faces all the time, especially for women. I mean. Detrimental. Is it? Is it? It's always been present. There's not. That's nothing new. If it was magazines at, at the grocery store, maybe you know, pick your magazine. Or if it's and then or plant or Playboy and all that fun stuff and and you know over sexualized females. Um, it's always been present and it's always had. It has an effect. Has it gotten worse or is it just sort of, you know? There's some point to be said. Well, there's so much of it. There's so much noise out there. It kind of gets lost. And no one really cares. Mm-hmm. Um. I think, again, it, for some, it makes a big effect that I have to look this way. I have to be this way. Um, for some, it's like, 
it's just something that's out there. You know that it's not the real world, and they just project that out there, and that's and they're fine with that. Um, and they and they just you know, receive it for what it is. Um, I, I don't deal with a whole lot of clients. It used to be worse twenty years ago, where um, they would see you know the, the I, I I would say see and I, I think about it because I, I sit down with a group of counselors and we debrief about stuff once a month for a couple hours. And they see some of that as an effect. They would say that's a big concern uh, where they would deal with like a young girl that's having, having issues of image issues to stay away from the, the Instagram and all that and all that. But those are girls that have real issues with, with image issues. Um, would that be, would they still have those issues because they have a root, their root is an anxiety Would they, and that anxiety is still there nonetheless. And does it feed it and for some? Yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a concern. So again, it's, it's, it's not everybody has a minority. Because I, I was reading a study recently or an article um, saying that the instances of anxiety, depression, and suicide rates in young girls was on the increase, um, even though I, I know the, the actual majority of that number is like older white males, I believe. But the, the young girls having this experience, do you think that that's something to be concerned about? And do you think that that's um, a result of the social media age that we're living in? It's the result of social isolation created by social media. That I look at imagery and all that fun stuff, and I, but it's more in, that we're so impersonal to one another. We don't relate to one another, personal person. We're doing text. We're doing, um, you know, like most most young adults and teens don't even like to make a phone call. Mm-hmm. They want you to text them, and that's but that you lose all emotion in that communication. Mm-hmm. You lose less person to person. So I think that's more has to do with less human connection. And more than anything else, that's your solution to it. It's not that there's as imagery out there because there's always been imagery. It's that we're seeing more uh, disconnected, and that creates more so that feeds depression, anxiety, socialization, suicide. Yeah, that makes sense. I when I met my husband, he's a very he's older than I am. He's ninety, got nine years on me, but he would always call me instead of texting me and I would get so like anxious trying to like before I'd answer this phone call I'm like I don't know how to talk to someone on the phone anymore who does that (laughs) it was so strange and I find myself like calling people more now because I get more out of that phone call in terms of like joy and happiness and um satisfaction than from texting them but like even now when I call my friend like why are you calling me just just (laughs) just text me um, yeah, it's, it's a real thing. I mean, this is my clinical practice. I get more pushed to do um, uh, teletherapy or phone call, or, or you know, I guess we use a special systems for mental health online. And I don't like doing it. I, I, I do. A, I'll do it a little bit, but not a lot because it's still person person, and yeah. I don't like to do that in the process. And I feel like it, it, from thing. your industry, wouldn't it be more detrimental? Like you're you're not giving them that that connection, right. really. But then the the man is not from the clinicians; it's from the clients. They want they want us. They want it's easier for them. It's more convenient for them. And and like I do it, I do it on an occasional basis. I had a client call me. Um, was supposed to schedule, you know, did a phone call interview that I didn't know I was going to have, but until I got to the office, I ordered in a phone call. I'm like, okay, we'll do it. But it was my. Then you want to do it the next week? I go, no, you need to come in for an uh, for an appointment. So, mm-hmm. um, but you know, there's a there's it's from the clients that want it. We we we're not trained to do online we're trying to do person to person so yeah um so okay so circling back a little bit to the adult industry um <laughs> I, I know you've kind of cleared it up where with the bell curve and the whole daddy issues thing but when it comes to romantic relationships for especially webcam models and women uh-huh. in the industry do you feel like women can have healthy relationships and still be in the adult industry 
I think they can, but again, it goes back to you can't keep secrets, and there's mm-hmm. and it goes back to you got to be able to open up about that and be okay with that. And if it's if it's hidden and if it's hidden for long, it can be a real problem. If you get into a committed relationship and it's not known and it's hidden, it becomes a secret, and that comes becomes a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be very um, it, it can be integrated into life um, and shared together and done together and be a part of it and get you know the, the significant others in the back in the back end of it or not involved with it or whatever but um secrets are never good and so if you have to keep it a secret and then because the problem is secrets they come out and then they get they're upset because of the issue and they're upset they weren't told and it amplifies it mm-hmm. and so that's that as a system for any type of relationship or family relationship or couple relationship is never good so you you think even with the family dynamic to be open with it as much as you can be or I don't even know how to phrase that as much as is acceptable like because I have friends who have told their parents that they're cam girls and that's not even mainstream porn and been completely like exiled and they want nothing to do with them or you know their their children because of it um, and that's had a really negative effect. Um, for scenarios like that, if, if that's the way you expect it to play out, is it better to say nothing? Uh, see, that's the thing. I, I'm, secrets are bad. In relation to dynamics, you call cutoffs. That's what cutoff. Or someone kind of, you know, you're dead to me. You're only part of my life, and you get pushed out when they're, they're family. Um, that's that's almost in a lot of ways worse. Uh, that's the worst of the two evils, but they're both evil. Yeah. So, um, you know that that to me is, and again. The best families are unconditional love, accepting the families. That's where only people can get that in family, find it family dynamic. Um, it shouldn't make a difference what your kids do or how you do, or your, your brother or sister do, or whatever. You know, I mean, it amazes me how how families, you know, I'm going to tangent. Why families get really upset about one thing, but yet they'll tolerate something else, which mm-hmm. is really ridiculous sometimes. Um, and that, to me, the person to cut off is the one that's wrong. When you when you talk about siblings and parenting, parents and family and so forth. Cut off is not a is not a healthy option. It hurts you. It hurts them. It's never good for anybody, and you shouldn't do that. So bad on them. The the problem is though is that it's the worst. It's a worse evil compared to keeping this letting the secret out. So for a cam model, should they say that? Yeah, I, I encourage them to really think about it. And, and but yet, if it, if you know it's going to cut off, then I'd say, well, I don't know about that. Yeah. Um. You know, because a cut off because over time they may you know, over. Could we find out is over time, you can. They can get ideas, and you can talk. Well, I'm doing this thing. I'm doing that, and they may be open to it down the road. But a cutoff is what is going to, you know, that's going to hurt you, hurt them, hurt everybody, and that's not good either. So, yeah. but you better be really sure you're going to get cut off, and that's where I got, you know, I caution it set. You got to really kind of balance that out. Yeah. See, and it's that's not easy. I, yeah, it's not. And I, this, the friend that I'm thinking of in particular, I know, um, she's 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 very torn up about that that not having the family, even though it may not be the healthiest. Uh, family dynamic to begin with but I would imagine right. it's more um it, it takes a bigger toll than to have that separation and that you know we're not speaking than it would have right. to just keep that secret for sure because that that you know you're, you're part of your world is your family mm-hmm. and that's cut off from you and you and it's, it doesn't go away it's still present for you even yeah. though you're, you're you know even though you're cut off from from them they're start a part of your world you can't and that creates imbalance and that's not a good thing yeah so why do you think in like this day and age, I mean, it's 2019, porn has been around forever, adult industries, not not forever, it's still new in the scheme of things, but for a while now, and it still carries such a stigma. Like, I don't understand why people have such a hard time talking about sex. It's, 
because it's 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 sex makes people uncomfortable. They don't a lot of people don't know what to do with it. They're uncomfortable in their own skin. They're uncomfortable with what they do. It will help with their own issues with it, and and it's it's a big issue. So, um, I think it's we've gotten better with it. I mean, uh, I think in, in different in different areas we're more open to it. We're more honest about it. We're kind of opening up, but then there are still huge pockets that people don't want to talk about. It's kept very very private. Mm-hmm. And I, and it's just, it's and plus there's social norms that we that we have to deal with, um, you know we you know we're a Christian Judeo country and, and, and basis of our ethics and morals how we function and that has an issue with it, um, you know how we and so that's just something that's present with it. Yeah. But yet when you you know so the the really best studies we found well people are very much involved with a lot of what we call deviant behavior or sexual behavior that we never thought were was common when it's actually very common you know mm-hmm. and so. You know, when they when they get, when you do a really good study and do some good case studies, people are very more voyeuristic. They've done you know uh, they've done uh, homosexual behavior just to test it out to find out about it. They've had affairs. They've had this. They've had that. You know, whatever. And it's more common than most people realize. But they just don't want to talk about it because they're afraid of it for some reason, or they're un, they're un, just un, uneasy with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just it's just it's just uh, why. I don't know, but it's just, it's always present. It goes back to, you know, it, 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 as a whole, there's this whole, you know, history of families and systems and so forth, you know, where power rests with the males and protection of the, of the family and caring of the family that it gives wealth and, and productivity and and uh, and stability and all that stuff. And you want to shake you want to shake up that system. And you talk about sex and you get into some stuff that would be considered the deviant side of it, which can be just about anything. Mm-hmm. It threatens that system. And mm-hmm. but then the real question is, does it really threaten that system? And you may say, eh, not so much yeah does that make sense yeah that makes sense i think too like just the the country as a whole there like you said there's packets that are more more open to talking about it and then there's the packets that aren't i'm finding living in such a small town now being in literally the bible belt that um no one here i never hear anyone talk about things like that and you're kind of leaning towards that's the culture and that's the religious norm that's here is what you're saying Correct. Okay. Yeah, it's because it's because you know in the in all majority religious sex in North America, you know, sex is safe for marriage, and that's and it stays with the marriage, and that's it, and it stays in that context, and don't don't cross that line. Yeah. And so you don't open that up, and so it's kept up. But the problem though is that you know I run where the opposite happens, where they're if they're raised in that, and they then they get they let's take the classic couple that I that I see that come to my office, where they were raised in that and then they got into it and they didn't know what to do and things were wrong and it was it was not pretty it was weird and and they don't and it caused all kinds of problems and you know it, it creates all, all kinds of issues and they but they can't talk about it yeah. and that's unhealthy so you know the best best dynamic for that you know is to, is to have more open conversations get open honest unconditional love within families understand uh, raising emotional intelligent people being emotional intelligent raising emotional intelligent is very very powerful I would I would think that even that that idea of saving your you know your sexuality until you're married would be extremely unhealthy. Like you wouldn't know what you, you what you like, what you don't like. You don't know what the other fi- person finds is acceptable or isn't acceptable. What they enjoy, and then you almost you lack that that intimate side with someone you're spending the rest of your life with. It. I don't see how that would work out well. It well it can't. Sam again. I want those be the best part. It can work out because it's based upon the relationship. If the relationship between, again, is, okay, when it comes to sex, as just regular life sex, it is the most phenomenal bonding experience you can experience mm-hmm. with a person. 
it is also the most awkward, weird, up and down, sideways thing that you experience throughout your entire life. Mm-hmm. It's never, you know, it's not perfect. And so to walk through those, you have to have a depth of relationship. So if the relationship is strong enough, open communication, they could, you could do that. You can say, we're not going to have sex, we get married and go right into it and be fine. And, and if the, if the relationship's core, if, if, cause sex, sex is sex, mm-hmm. it's, but great. But, and I, I talked to a couple of, if you have great intimacy, you'll have great sex. Yeah. And so if you take care of the intimacy stuff, which is emotional, intellectual, uh, social, physical, all those aspects that then that takes care of the sex itself. If you could, but if you just focus on the sex and don't take care of the intimacy, you have problems. So you can be a couple that don't have great sex that rings the bells all the time or never had sex until you got married. But if you have great intimacy, you'll be fine. That's mm-hmm. proven to be, to be very, very true. Okay. That makes sense. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. The, then when I can, when I think about other couples or not couples, other individuals, I know um, women and men alike who, who, you know, they never get in a committed relationship and they, they sleep around a lot and, that that for someone my age they we talk about sex amongst ourselves um in like a casual joking you know kind of context where it's like very acceptable to just sleep with whoever and go on your way but then does that have a detrimental effect on your your intimacy and what you you pursue in relationships down the road it it, it can or it cannot it, it goes back to because again intimacy sexual intimacy is part of intimacy as a whole so if that gives you an idea that i gotta have performance to do this or get that or whatever get something mm-hmm. out of it this way that's what it's going to, i'm going to be filled intimacy with that's a, a part of that and i'll think that part of it it could have effect but overall what's going to make a great relationship is going to be the intimacy side of it so you know, that's where i kind of say okay when i talk when i've when people ask me i get when they come to me and they come to me when they're really frustrated with something and they say well i'm sleeping around a lot and I'll, so I go, well, i always go to the intimacy issue What's your issue with intimacy? Why can't you find that? Why are you seeking it here compared to just relationship? Why are you just looking for a hookup compared to a friendship? Why are you, you know, those type of things. And mm-hmm. those always brings up great conversations. Yeah. And the other thing too is like when I, when you're talking about people who um, have intimacy issues and don't, you know, go for committed relationships and then instead they opt to sleep around with people, do you, those people, because aren't humans by nature better off in relationships like yes. not maybe not committed relationships because I, I don't know how what your outlook on monogamy is but relationships in general because we do better in communities because we're social right mm-hmm. so yeah we're we're, 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 geared, we're geared towards relationship no matter what we're, we are social beings as a whole and the studies and everything proves to us that monogamous relationships are the best and over time and that just creates and has a lot of power to it and so that's probably the best the best way to go does someone have to be in that all the time no and but yet we're always going to be in community, always social, always active. That's part of kind of who we are. And it goes back to, you know, if, if again, are we are we having an intimacy doesn't have to be with one person. It could be several people. It can be with close friends and family and all that. There's, mm-hmm. you know, it comes out in different ways. We find out, though, monogamous relationships that are successful. And those are the most the ones kind of the goal. And because there's a lot of research to prove it, that's the most healthy thing to be to be working towards that the the, the intimacy with that person is, is vital over, over over lifespan and that's what works then do you feel like marriage is a because like my entire upbringing growing up i was super against marriage and now i find myself married but uh-huh. i um i always looked at it like it's just this outdated institution and that that can't possibly work because how can people grow and change 
at all points in their life, every, you know, generation or every couple, 10 years or so, you can look back at your life and be like, wow, I felt completely differently about this topic or that thing um, just very shortly ago. So I always thought like, how can people grow together for that long of a stretch of time and truly be happy? Is that even real realistic? Like I, I struggle with that. Because, because you know, there's couples that are married now. Going back to John Gottman, his research, he did research on couples for about 20 years, and it's really probably the most documented research out there. And he did, it was really, really effective. And he studied couples for 20 years and kind of got an idea of what this, the master's relationship and, and the disaster relationship. And his studies showed that those that have long-term relationships, and that we're talking decades, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years, are ones that change. People change. That's mm-hmm. just reality. But it's, it's not an issue if you're going to change. It's actually if you agree with the other person. You may you mentioned earlier your husband validated you in your emotions and so forth. Well, mm-hmm. he may not agree with what you what you feel and think at one point. If, if you if you guys totally agree all the time, trust me, you guys are not going to agree all the time. Yeah. And that doesn't really matter. It's just that you understand and you care for that person regardless of. And that's what creates dynamic, healthy relationships that last the decades. Mm-hmm. And that's a very realistic thing. We tend to blow that off as realistic because we see the studies, we see much divorce, and we think, okay, that's they don't last that long. They very well can can last that long. You can grow and change and be and do and as with another person, but it's that understanding the dynamic of that always changing, growing, connecting, and 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 working towards and digging up because when when stuff comes up, uh, conflicts come up. There's a there's a this goes my narrative, narrative therapy ideas. There's a story behind it. And each of you have a story, and each of you have a process, and each of you have part of that and understand that that's the fun of it. That's what makes it great. And so, you know, um, but then also when couples don't take care of that, they create what I call a hot mess, and then they get a whole whole other issue. Mm -hmm. So uh, one of the, um, this is going to sound so funny, but I was actually, this was years ago, or right when I got engaged, um, and I was at the dentist's office, and the, the dental assistant who was cleaning my teeth, she was all excited about me being engaged, and she was giving me her marriage advice from her and her uh, husband's long relationship. And when you're engaged, everyone's giving you marriage advice. It's just kind of what happens. Right. But um, hers really stuck out to me. And what she had said was to not fall out of love with each other at the same time. And uh-huh. she elaborated on that, saying that you're going to constantly grow and change and be different people than the one you're marrying, and that you uh-huh. have to work hard to either accept the person you're with at that time and who they are at the time or wait until they change again and re-fall in love with that person. And then that's what makes it last. And that's kind of what you reminded me of right now when you're right. saying that. It's like you have to be accepting and you have to be willing to adapt and grow and change with that person. And you have to, you have to, what we call in, in, in the Gottman idea is to turn towards that person continually. Mm-hmm. You always have to turn towards. And it's, a, it's, it's not, a, it's not a based upon love, oohies and gooies and all that fun stuff. It's a, it's a, it's a choice of volition. I choice this person choice of will. I'm going to choose this today. And, you know, she's my gal today, and, and I'm happy to be with her. And she's awesome. She's great. She's beautiful. And she's and she's all I, I need to have, and vice versa. And it's continual, and and it's you know, and it's it's accepting flaws and change and all that stuff. But you choose. It's a constant choice. It's a choice of volition. Oh, I like that. Choose them every day. I like that a lot. Um, the what was I going to say? The, I was thinking to it when you're talking, and the, all the stuff's going through my mind. I'm obviously a millennial, and all my majority of my friends are millennials. Um, and something that we often talk about amongst ourselves is that 
you know, our generation is very quick to throw away broken things instead of fixing them and working to fix uh-huh. them because we have that, we grew up with this instant gratification kind of lifestyle. Right. Um, uh-huh. Do you think that that's having an effect on marriage and why we're seeing the divorce rates that we're kind of seeing? Is be- well, I, millennials aren't really getting married as young or as often. Right. So I don't know if that's necessarily scientifically what, true. But Well, no, what, what we see is, yeah, millennials are getting younger, are getting married in their 30s compared to 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's proven. And we're seeing a lot of, of of um of of living together and all that and we're from the from a therapeutic point of view where i see the problem with living together is like and i and i get it's it's very very common it's an issue but the problem is though it's it goes into the idea that you can you're living together but you can get out yeah and the problem with and this is statistically proven couples that that's because when you when you going back to the idea i choose this person if you choose this person then the issue i'm going to leave is not an option that doesn't that doesn't match up. That's not being that's not being genuine and, and true. Mm-hmm. So when you when you so that's kind of the mentality. The idea goes well. I'm scared of marriage. My parents divorced. I don't want. I don't trust. I can trust marriage. Marriage is the issue. It's more and one that's sat down with a lot of couples over the years. It's not the. It's not the. Uh, the, uh, uh, it's not the institution, it's the people. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. People mess up marriage. Marriage, is, marriage can stand alone all by itself. Marriage is really just a, a contract. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's the people that mess it up. So, and so, but they, so then they bring into relationship with less commitment. That's the issue. Are you committed to without the, the foundation of every relationship is trust and commitment. Uh, you can have everything in the world in a relationship. There's some great dynamics you need to have with that. But if you don't have trust and commitment, you got an issue. Mm-hmm. And so if that's in place, good, then you can start building the rest of it. It's about trust and commitment aren't working. That's where I, if a couple's mean they're, they're a mess, affairs happen, something's happened, and, and trust is killed, I got to deal with the trust issues. And mm-hmm. I got, if I can't fix that, then I can't fix the rest of it. Yeah. And so. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, the, the trust issue thing, when I, I hear, because I have, I have friends that have been there and, you know, there's been infidelities and stuff. When, like, I, I, really cheating is a, a big deal to me I've been cheated on and I've been through that and it, it's hard and all of those things and the trust is is definitely hurt drastically but I also recently listened to a TED talk that said that you know cheating can be healthy and that if you are open about it and there's you know boundaries there, or whatever that it's better for your relationship there, there is nothing to back that up okay. scientifically okay that's that's a theory and it's yeah it's the poly- polyamorous polygamy polygamy um it's a whole dynamic that's out there but there's nothing to back it up because when you commit to a person majority say we're committed there are outliers again the bell curve there's mm-hmm. people that they that's cool they want to do something and that's fine but both have to be in commitment and the majority of people this is what happens that we find about that okay there's a backside of that where people say yeah we're great with this but that that only lasts for a season and then it wears off then one person in it and this, this has been proven in the studies. One person says, "I don't like this. It went mm-hmm. too far. Something went sideways on them, and they don't want it. And they want to change it, but the person doesn't. Then it doesn't work. Gotcha. And they either got to retreat or they or they break up, yeah. divorce. Because I, and and I think about that because I have, there's people I know that have been like swingers, or they'll bring someone else in the bedroom, and it's like, well, yeah, that sounds exciting and and this and that, and you know, interesting or intriguing, but it, as far as an intimacy issue, like, wouldn't that create that because intimacy i don't see how you can share that with a lot of people right you know right exactly exactly we're not we're not we're designed to be intimate primarily with one person and then with the family and then it breaks up from there but when you when you 
push your boundaries on that, it's you're really shooting the dice, and the yeah. odds are, and the odds are not in your favor. The odds yeah. are in your favor. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I wanted to talk about this because this is something that that I think about a lot, and I've I've tweeted about this in the past. Is that like I have a young cousin, um, who I adore. And she was recently just brought back into my life because I, I hadn't talked to that side of the family in some time. So it's a relationship that I'm really protective over. Um, uh-huh. And she's, I would want to say, I don't know, a young high school age now. And um, I miss a lot of her growing up. So I'm, I'm really trying to compensate for that relationship by, you know, being there for her now and stuff. But I have a lot of, um, I hold back a little bit because I'm worried that I'm not a good influence on her just because of the industry I'm in. And and I wanted to know from your professional standpoint, is that a fair assumption or is there no basis for that? Because I, when I asked on Twitter, a lot of people felt like, no, a girl in the cam industry or the adult industry can't be a good role model. Um, what do you think about that? It goes back to, are you good with you? Yeah. If you're good with you, then that's, that's, that's all that really matters. And then you can be good with others. If you, if you're not good with you, that's another question you got to work through on your own. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if, and it's, it goes back to, and you know, I don't know how old she is or, you know, what's up with that. But if you're good with you, that's a very powerful thing. You have, from, from what I understand, you have found a lot of power for yourself doing this. And that's a very strong thing. There's a lot to be said to be an entrepreneur, self-employed, you know, paying rent, all that stuff, mm-hmm. achieving a lot of goals, um, growing in relationships, doing all these things. That's very, that's, that's a good thing. Um, but yet, you know, it, it, you can, you know, if, if, but then if it's going to be a, a big problem, you think, again, it goes back to, it's a secret right now. If I expose a secret, will it cause cutoff and it may not be with her, maybe with others. I don't know, but those things got to kind of work through those makes it kind of sticky. Yeah. But if you're good with you, then, What's the and then you're then there should be I don't see a problem with it. If you're not good with you, then yeah, then you gotta think about that. that brings up a whole other ball of wax. Yeah, well, I think about that a lot. Like I really I've spent a lot of time thinking about this stuff because um, just with my career and where I deciding where I want to take it and like doing the vlogs and the podcast and stuff like this, it's very um, very it makes you very vulnerable because everything oh. I'm really putting everything into and everything is out there about me and I can't ever yes. undo it. Um, and I, I'm okay with that, but at, at the, some part of me feels like I'm electing other people who didn't consent to that right. being out there. And that's more of my fear is like, I know that side of the family is more conservative. Um, I know this, this is nothing that they would ever really want her exposed to. Um, but at the same time, I'm her, I'm her cousin and, you know, I love her and we're family. And I, I would like to think that I set a good uh, role model bar in terms of the way I carry myself and the character and the kindness I exude and things like that the way I measure people but as we know in American culture a lot of the way we measure people is hi I'm so and so what do you do for a living right yep exactly so is that a good is that good bad or indifferent that's yeah. an issue yeah um when we talk about girls in the adult industry and um porn in general uh, and you had just kind of touched on this, but do you believe that that business is a legitimate like business? Because you do consulting for businesses and stuff like that. Um, do you you obviously see what we do as a legitimate business? Right. If you're making money, making profit, you're a legitimate a legitimate business. I mean, that's a, that's a yeah. lot of money. We're capitalistic here. Yeah. So you know, um, 
but then that goes back to what, at what cost? And that goes back to, are you balanced? Are you healthy? Are you able to continue this, maintain this, um, go from there? And, and you got to think about long-term, you know, mm-hmm. and then the biggest thing with that is, you know, I think with, with this type of thing, you got to be diversified. If you're not diversified, you can, you know, you'll find yourself hurting down the road because things, because this industry, because it's the technology it's based upon, if, for example, if MSC made a major radical change and they went and they, you know, had a change of format, change of structures or whatever, and you had to find out, you know, and it cut into your into your profits, how that affects you and your if you if you live and die upon them, mm-hmm. you know, that's not a good thing to live and die off of. So, yeah, business wise, would be diversification, understand the balance with, as being self-employed. Um, and being an entrepreneur, maintaining that. But if you're making profit and you're covering it, then goes back to your bigger picture. What do you want to do with this? Where do you want to go with this? Where do you want to? What's, what do you want this to do for you financially? Your goals with that. And what's what's realistic? What's you know long term? What's smart? And uh, being, and doing it that way. That's you know those. That's with any small business. That's always the, the issue you got to think about. Okay, if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to do this, going to my side hustle, I'm going to make this much money. Is that good? Is it worth it? Is it mm-hmm. going to be helpful? Is it going to be hurtful? Is it going to cost me too much? You know, those those type of things. That's when I when I consult people from a psychological. You know, I this type of dynamic is a self employed person done a lot of that, um, and they're like, you know, their their business is is doing great, but their life sucks. Yeah. And so we sit back and say, okay, you got to fix this. Mm-hmm. And they got to hire new people. They got to divert. They got to diversify their resources. They got to do what they what they got to spend their time making making doing what makes money, not doing stuff to stuff. Yeah. And so, and I think with, because of the ambiguity of tech and how to mark and brand and market and all that stuff, that's tough. Mm-hmm. You can spend a lot of time, but it doesn't give you any, any, any return. Yeah. And you got to be wise with that. And, you know, if I'm going to spend, cause you know, branding and, and design and, you know, all that stuff can eat, gobble up tons of time. And money. Um, yeah. And yeah. And so, and you're, and you're as, as self-employed time is money. Yeah. And so you got to balance that out. And so you know, I see that's, I never said, I mean, I, I said, I did a little bit of tech work for a gal and she had no tech skills at all. So I'll help you do so I did some web pages for this and that and blah, 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 no big deal. Mm-hmm. And, um, it takes a lot of time. She's like, well, how much time did it go? Oh, it's like, you know, two, three, four hours. She's like, Oh my gosh. Well, yeah. So you know, yeah. no big deal. Mm-hmm. But you know, I just, I understand that. But then if you, if you don't understand that trying to get in is to go to the next level, if you can't do that, nor, nor the ability to manage the money to, to pay for it and understand that market and understand the cost of that, you got to be careful with it. That's all. Yeah. It can be completely uh, draining on your time, your money, your life, your emotions, all of it. Right. Um, if you, if you, if you go from side hustle to full time, but you, and you cut off a full time job. And, but you end up spending, instead of doing eight hours a day, you're doing 10, 12 hours a day. Mm-hmm. What's the value of that? So. Yeah. Is there something wrong with uh, like people that choose to be entrepreneurs? I wonder this a lot because it's not an easy life and it's not glamorous the way everyone likes to talk about it. And you're spending all this time and money and effort building something when you could, and like you said, we don't get to turn it off a lot of the time. Like even when I log off webcam, anyone can still send me a text message that goes right to my phone that if I respond to it, there's money to be made. And it's that constant temptation of to not stop working. And even when I'm like on vacation, not that I take those, but if I did, <laughs> it would be a constant now that's interruption. Not a good yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But in, your, husband, you gotta, your husband's got to say we're going on vacation because, doggone it. He's the same advice. monster. Was... That's the problem. We both work for ourselves. <laughs> that's the workaholics aren't good that way. Yeah. Uh, I am. Um, I wonder, because I'm like, no one, like, who would choose this life? Like, it's, 
is there a personality disorder that makes you more inclined to like be an entrepreneur? It's, 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 it's competitive. It's, you know, you're working towards goals. You like that. You like the fulfillment of it. It's the risk and reward. Um, there's risk with it that, you know, if you don't make an X amount of dollars, you can make rent, yeah. uh, or mortgage payment or whatever, or, you know, have food on the table, but then there's the, the rewards, you know, can be really, really huge. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you're not sharing the cost with yeah. someone else, you, what you do, you make, and there's a lot of gratification that not everybody's geared that way. Mm-hmm. Not it's it's not a, it's a sickness. It's just you know personality was kind of not a certain bent. It's more of a personality type mm-hmm. that it's not you know uh, an illness type of thing. It's just it's not a depression or anxiety. It's just a it's just a personality type that likes to go after it and make some things happen and, and get that likes the, the challenge of the risk and the and the, the that motivates them compared to to not having that motivation. So and then they wreak the reward. There's some people that. That's the problem. The thing I see is that once you do one thing, you do another thing, and you do another thing, and you do another thing, mm-hmm. because you that that constant desire to get win um, can be good. But again, if it's not balanced, if it doesn't take time off, it doesn't take time to appreciate it, take time to enjoy it, it that can be dangerous. Time off is important. You know, yeah. if you don't do that, you're gonna hurt yourself. Yeah, I I wonder too because with all the stuff that I'm doing, and I'm sure you've probably noticed over the years because you've been around. Um, I've tried like a thousand different things, a bunch of different campsites, you know, going into like YouTube and podcasting stuff. I am trying to diversify and kind of prepare for when this, you know, journey is over because webcam can't last forever. Given I do know people who are in it and much, you know, older women who have stuck around and made something of it, but I don't necessarily know that that's going to be my choice. Um, but the stuff I'm doing now with YouTube and the podcast, like I'm kind of trying to dabble and cross over into this mainstream audience and having people look at me and take me seriously and respect me in a different light. And I'm finding that I don't know if that's possible. And I walk a weird line because I am talking about, you know, the taboo topics and I'm talking about the stuff that I did in the adult industry in a mainstream platform kind of way. Um, So I don't even know if I really can be considered crossing over because I'm still you know, um, talking about your base and, is still, you're, you're, yeah, your base is still in, in the adult side. Yeah, of I'm still capitalizing on that experience. Um, do you think that we can cross over people that have been in porn or webcam? Well, there's you know we see crossover in porn, um, but then it go, it goes back to your skills. It goes back to can you if you dive, you can diversify into anything. You can diversify into a totally different field. You can you know diversify be a nurse someplace or something like that. You know, be a teacher or something like that. Mm-hmm. You can diversify into anything you want. It's just how you work how you work it, but. Um, what skills transfer, you know, if, if you're developing that's I think more of the skills of, a, of the webcam girl have more to do with marketing and branding yeah. and being able to sell, sell something, you know, maybe yourself or the image, the, the world, that image you create, um, that's, that's a really good skill and, and takes a lot of moxie to, to make that work. Um, and that has, that's very transferable to a lot of different, different fields. Um, if, and you just got to think about does, that those skills that you have and you gotta be honest about yourself what skills do i have outside of being you know a really knockout gorgeous girl in camp mm-hmm. to be, what does that what does that give me that's marketable that someone's going to pay me to do and how's that going to work to relate and if it goes into being a voice okay how's that work out to being a, 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 a realistic business model to create revenue mm-hmm. um you know what's that going to do for you to create income um you know, and there's there's a lot to be said. If I get you know to be you know, you know the powerful thing of you know girls on Instagram, they get the marketing side of things, YouTube side of things, and they get the click thing, and they're making they're banking on that, and mm-hmm. that's a very powerful thing. 
but how how that works out, you got to kind of figure that out. Is that is that realistic? And sometimes you got to kiss a frog and, and see if you get if you get a prince out of it. Yeah. And try it out. And, and you've done that a lot. Like you said, you tried different a lot a lot of things. You kiss a lot of frogs. Some work great. Some haven't. Yeah. And but what then you got to think, hey, this is working. Why is it working? Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the, what's the element? What's the the factor that I can build upon? Does that make sense? Yeah. No. Definitely. And and I see it that way because I I've dabbled in so many things, but over the years of the seven years I've been doing webcam, like I've learned a lot of skills. Like I've learned how to, you know, code a little bit, how to recreate my profile. I've learned how to edit videos. I've learned how to film. I've learned how to be a better filmer than most. You know, I've learned a lot of skills through webcam that can take me into the the next chapter of whatever I I decide to do. Um, It's just, you can't really write webcam on a resume. (laughs) That's the only thing. Well, you can write a resume like you know, you know, you know. The, the biggest industries right now is I just know because I know some people that do it is coding and yeah. writing websites and, and doing that stuff, and doing it to, you know security for that and stuff. There's a lot of there's a lot of big money in that. So there's you know that whole aspect of it. You know, there I know there were some girls that tried it and out there maybe they still are. They're doing um, sites for you know they're doing the creating the sites for the girls on um, NFC and the profiles mm-hmm. they're creating their own site they're, they're creating that content for them to help design that that sort of thing that's a very powerful thing I don't know if that's a realistic market or not I don't know yeah. um, you know but those those that's skills and how does that work out yeah so what you're saying basically is it's more about the skills you have as opposed to what you have done or will do it's just how you apply your skill set at end of right. day so, yeah yeah. and what and what about those skill sets make you money I mean I have a lot of skill sets but they don't pay anything but their skill sets do pay so that's why I gotta build upon yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so if you, since you do have that consulting side of you, if you were consulting for a webcam model such as myself, um, what advice would you give them and what, like, would you encourage them to do? Boundaries, boundaries, boundaries. Mm-hmm. Balance. I want, you know, don't, you know, don't, sleeping is really important. You know, taking time off. I would suggest, I, my opinion is says I have no idea what average current girls work, but four days, 10 hours, four to eight to 10 hours would be the max. If you're not making enough money, have your have your goals in mind when you get on and do your thing. And if you're not making your goal, then walk away from it. Um, save that time for something else. Mm-hmm. Um, then beyond that, LLC, uh, Limited Liability Corporation, for privacy and then tax purposes, because everything you buy, everything you spend is, to, is a tax write-off, and the mm-hmm. best protected that is LLC. Um, that's probably the biggest thing. And then learn, learn how, and diversify and know what your skills are. If you can't, don't have skills, develop those skills. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, going to school, whatever you need to do to develop skills further, maybe in photography, um, videography, um, uh, coding, you know, graphic design type of things. Um, and then know, but know that, you know, if, cause majority of people, when they get into small business type of things, no matter what they do. The most successful people I know in small business, um, they've done three or four, five or six small business companies. And they do one, it works out great, but they roll into another one. And mm-hmm. that's how they keep on going with that. I know multimillionaires, that's what they've done. Majority of them don't, they do not have, I mean, we're talking totally different companies, like, you know, a, a maid service to delivery service to, you know, all kinds of stuff. And they, they've, you know, everyone thinks you say it's one thing and you work it to death. No, most, most majority do several things. Yeah. And, and that's where, that's where it's at. So, and know what your goals are. What do you, why are you doing this? Is a side hustle to pay for school? Then, then keep that in mind and, and d- just keep it to that. Um, that's what important. I think that's where the biggest thing, but the biggest thing is balance that I think, and because it's self-employed and doing it that way and is the biggest thing. They don't deal with that. It's going to be a big issue for them down the road. 
Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I've experienced it myself. I know a lot of girls that, that struggle with that. Um, when you talk about, um, I wanted to touch on one of the points that you mentioned with um, the balance and webcam specifically. When you, uh, let me think about this before I word it wrong here. Um, the effects that that can have on on a girl's balance and the way she balances a, a family life, like having kids or being a mom or, you know, going to PTA meetings and then coming home and, and camming. Do you think that, that that switch between this is my myself and this is my character, that that's healthy? It, it, it's, it can be very much a normal thing, no big deal. Okay. You know, it's like an actress or whatever. People have done that very, very well. And as long as it doesn't cause stress, anxiety, depression. If you're, okay. if you're, if you get done doing that and you find yourself and you can't, fill your batteries up again and, and, and fill your tanks up again so you can do that healthy, in a healthy way, in a balanced way, then yeah, then it's, it's going to be a problem. But if you can do that and know your balance, that's where balance is so important because it's performance. And mm-hmm. so if you can step away, get a balance out of it, you're good. Okay, I can do this again. Put your character on and go. Then stop and then go and stop and go and, and, and keep that, that rhythm up. You're fine. But, you know, it's, it's, it, there's a lot of things people do. that. I mean, no one asks, is their true self in any job that they do? If they did, no one would like them because we're all at a core. So we can be really rude and selfish, selfish people. Yeah. So we have, you know, we develop life skills to be better. So we, and, and you know, it's the old extrovert, introvert thing. You can be, um, and most people are, have a bent toward introvert. They need quiet, just peaceful time and away from everyone. So if you can do that and, and balance that, sure, you can do that. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a big diverse jump if you're doing something that's past your boundaries that you're being devalued in yeah that's totally that's gonna hurt and that mm-hmm. you can't do see and i find that with the stuff that i'm doing now because i'm going from cam and i'm doing the youtube vlogs and podcasts where i do talk about my real life and being married and um things that i don't talk openly about on cam that i'm really starting to blur those lines between that's the that's character that i've had and that i've been to just this is me um, right. and I, I definitely would say it's probably hurting my webcam career financially, but at the same time, I think it's helping the next chapter with the podcast and the vlog because it's giving people insight in that vulnerability. Like I said, that they're interested and they can relate to and that they feel for that. They, they feel empathy when they hear me because they hear the real person as opposed right. to a character. But, um, I worry that it's going to be unhealthy with Cam because that line is now getting very blurred where I can't turn it off because they can just pull me up on YouTube and know anything about me. Mm-hmm. Do you, what, what is a good way to like handle that going forward? In some ways you're kind of coming, you're trying to be more authentic Yeah. across the board and you can't, you once, once in that that's the direction you want to go. That's who you, and that's kind of being you know, also because you're as you're maturing. That's a natural mode to go to. You're in, you're in a committed relationship. You're married. You're settling down. That's kind of a you. You're not playing the. You don't want to play the games as much. Yeah. And that's and that goes back to is it just easier just to be more? It's more easy to be authentic than to put on character. Mm-hmm. And so, it's hard to, to go back and not do that. And then the other aspect is if that's what it is, it's what it is, and just be yourself, and that's okay. Um, you know, from a ther- from a from a ther- from a therapy side, I think I think being authentic, no matter where you're at, is is always great. Mm-hmm. Um, the more authentic you are, the better you're off. Um, business side, that may not be the case, and that's yeah. where you got to kind of bounce it out. Yeah. You, know, you know, there's you know, business side that may cost you, but you got to you know, do you have 
do you have the resources so you can handle that hit? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, definitely. And that's kind of where, where I'm leaning is trying to diversify. Like, I, I've always considered the, how you mentioned with MFC, like if that was gone tomorrow or if they made some major change that, you know, totally disallowed my type of camming or the specific things that I do to no longer be viable. Like, I'm already set up on, you know, five other campsites that I can just, hey, I'm over here, check my Twitter, and go to this link instead right. kind of thing. But I do worry about girls in the industry that don't consider that and don't do that, and they've put all their eggs in this one basket. And given right. I have my preferred basket at the MFC, but if something were to happen, like, I'm prepared right. for that. And I, I, I get concerned with girls that go in just thinking this is, like, maybe not looking at, at it as a business. This is just a way I'm making money, and I don't have to worry about stuff, and it'll always uh-huh. be there. And, and I just I don't trust technology in that light because it's changing so much. Right. And, and, and there's, there's, there's all, the, all the evidence proofs don't do that because, you know, yeah. MSC's gone down how many times? And, yeah. I mean, and one big whop, and, you know, these guys can go down. And one, one big code issue, if you understand deep issues of code that, you, that these guys are dealing with and manage that site – I mean, the thing could crash pretty quickly if a few th- few key things happened, and so you got to be able to move around. Otherwise, if you're if you're if you're going to be based, basing your income from one day off one side, you can't have a backup, then you're going to be you're going to get hurt. Yeah, just not smart. Adapt or die kind of thing. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Well, I had a lot of fun talking to you. You're very insightful. You offered me a lot of insight that I wasn't having before, and some clarity, which is nice. Very nice. Oh, got us. I'm glad we had this conversation. It was fun. Yeah, I'm glad you. I'm glad you agreed to do this and put yourself out there a little bit too. I'm, obviously, they don't know who you are, but just the fact that there's someone as intelligent as you coming into our chat rooms from time, time to time should provide like a layer of normalcy for everyone else that thinks they're odd coming into a webcam girls chat room. It's not that strange. It's just curiosity mainly. <laughs> yep. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for talking to me, Sue. I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks a lot. That was fun. All right. Next time. Bye. I'm not sure if you can tell or not, but I'm pretty sure I just got a mini therapy session while all of you listened. (laughs) It was so eye-opening to hear what a professional thinks on all of the questions that I've personally wondered about my own career and my own personal life. It makes me want to find more balance and make time to enjoy my life a little. Hell, maybe that's something we could all do a little bit more of. Anyways, I'm Melrose and this has been episode 5 of the Seen and Not Heard podcast. Huge thank you this week to Barbados Rex. Rex is a newer fixture in my chat room, but immediately carved out a unique space for himself as a really great friend. You've been above and beyond supportive of me and every venture I've embarked on, and I know you listen to every single episode of the podcast. So thank you so much for not only being a regular, and a texting pal, and a content collector, but also just being a really dear friend. Thanks, Rex. Next week on the Seen and Not Heard podcast. I feel like people that do know what I do for a living in the back of their minds always wonder what my long-term plans are. I mean, I'm essentially living the career of an athlete where One tragic accident can completely cripple like five different streams of my income. So what is my plan? What are the goals that I have five years from now? Do I even have them? Of course I have them. I have many plans. I've come to this point in my life because of the plans that I've made. 
but the problem with life is it rarely goes according to plan.